Thank you, Simpson. Um, I, th I think we've obviously underestimated how many people would be interested in uh, a seminar of this sort. And I, I won't go on, but I will just say it for the last time. I'm quite serious. I reckon 20 people could sit down here, another 20 down the aisle, or maybe 10. Neil says no, not... <laughs> That was a grace-filled estimate. Ten, ten down here, twenty down. If you so, if you want to move, if you don't feel you have to be British, you can go there. You, even down the side here, if you can hear me over the back, Jess Wally, give me a wave. I'm seeing some over the back. Go on, Jess, give me a wave. Can you hear me, Jess? Yeah, you can. That's good. Okay, so I can be heard out there. That's that's good to know. Okay, well, it's nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so my name's Steve Petch, as uh, Simpson has said. I'm going to be from the 1st of September leading at the Coin Church. Is there anyone here from the Coin? Can I hear a, hear a whoop? Uh, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming, guys. Before that, I've been based at Grace Church in uh, Chichester, Bognor Midhurst, a multi-site church. And it's been a real privilege over this last year to, to move, to, to be relocated. We moved on Monday into a house in, in Woking. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into that there. Um, yesterday, I thought we had a really good time together. We focused on the issue of grace-filled discipleship. Isn't my wife amazing? Look at that. I mean, she's just fan. You're amazing. Thanks, Joe. I noticed you're not coming in, but, you know... Um, yeah, she's fantastic. So uh, yesterday we focused on, on grace and discipleship. Today I want to focus on grace and leadership. And it's really important, leadership I'm talking at all levels. So uh, whether you're leading anything in any context, this is for you. And I include, you know, if you're leading things at home, maybe you're, you're a parent, you've got to lead your children. Maybe you're a colleague, you may have people to lead. I'm not just talking or directing this at people who are in church leadership or senior leadership. So great leadership is vital for our churches, vital for our homes, vital for our workplaces. The great leaders are a gift from God. Why is it that some leaders abuse their position and misuse their authority? I want to look at that a little bit today and talk about what grace-filled leadership might look like. Now, one of the things I did yesterday was lay out a foundation of what grace is. And uh, we've spent actually a little bit of time on that. And, you know, if you missed it, you could uh, listen to the, the seminar from yesterday when it becomes available. But we talked about how grace is God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor given to us in Jesus. So when God gives us what we don't deserve, his grace and his mercy. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from ourselves or yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, so no one can boast. So just let's remember that this morning as we go into this. Salvation is a free gift of God by grace. It's not about rule keeping. Well, didn't we cover that yesterday? We talked about how by grace we have been given brand new life in Jesus, that we've been given a brand new identity in Jesus. Do you know that you are adopted as God's child? We've been forgiven. We've, we are accepted. We've been declared righteous. All these things are free gifts that we have been given through our relationship with God by his grace. We don't earn them. We can only receive them. Amen? Yeah. Now, our call as Christians is to live out of that new identity, not by living according to a list of rules and regulations, but seeking to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbours as much as ourselves. And that has huge implications for our leadership in all walks of life. Now, my life context now 
is one of Christian leadership. That's what I do. So I, I work full-time in the church context, and uh, church is my job, and church is my friendship, and church is my home, and church is my hobby, and church, basically it's church. And I've found over the years, we put on a, a church event, we'll have a, I don't know, a church barbecue, and all the church get to go to a barbecue, I get to go to work in those moments. So I've discovered, so church, uh, I, I actually enjoy it really, but I've discovered that church leadership, that's now my context. It hasn't always been my context, and of course for most of you, it probably isn't your context either. But what I'm going to do today, my emphasis and my examples, most of them will be drawn from what is now my context of church leadership. But what I'm looking for you to do is to apply the principles, which I'm going to underline, into your situation. So into your family, into your workplace, into all the different contexts where you are to take the principles and apply it. Is, th is that okay? Because I... So I'm going to talk out of my context, because I'd be daft not to, but it would lack integrity not to, but I'm looking for you to apply it into your own context. So, let's go for it. Let's focus on the difference that grace makes to leadership. Now, Christian leaders can sometimes do some stupid things. Okay, I'm asked to speak loud. I, I'm going to say, if you can't hear over the back, in love and grace, you can come in. Okay, so if you're having struggle hearing, you can stand to your feet, walk in this direction and fill up the middle and the sides. I'll do my best, but they can't turn me up anymore. So, uh, so make the choice to come in closer if you wish to. All right, is that okay? I, I, can't, I can't do more than that. Right, Christian leaders can do stupid things. And I thought what I would do is list for you a few stupid things that church, Christian leaders have done. And I'm doing this to make you feel better about your own church. Uh, all of these are true. Okay, this is true. I, I visited a church once. Um, I, I was just there. I, I wasn't a leader. I, I just, just happened to be in their meeting. And I was sitting. It used to be a cinema. And I was sitting in, the, in a cinema seat in this church. And what happened during the worship was a, a, a woman began to prophesy. So she was in, it was in the worship time. She in her seat began to prophesy. And I was listening, thinking, hey, that's good. She's prophesying. And I noticed something happened, which is one of the leaders, and, and the leaders were all seated down the front, one of the leaders got up out of his chair, and he began to uh, do kind of the dad run, you know, sort of the run walk. And he began to run from his seat across the front. He got to the, the aisle. He started to run up the aisle. And I thought, hello, what's going on here? He got to the end of her row, and he began to kind of shuffle into the row. She's down there. She's, uh, she's prophesying away. And I'm sitting further back thinking, he is going to take her out. Uh, I, she, she is coming down. You know, this is, this is it. So she's prophesying away. This guy is getting there. Getting, and he got right up to her. And I thought, this is going to be so interesting. What's happening here? And he reached inside his pocket. And he pulled out a blue handkerchief. And he dropped it on her head. And then he turned around and casually sauntered back to his seat at the front. And as I sat there, I thought, I'm not going to claim to be the biggest expert on what Paul meant about head covering. But I know one thing. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> Leaders do crazy, crazy things. I, 
I heard about another situation. I want to cheer you up this morning with some fun situations. I heard about another situation where church elders were approaching the women in their church, the married women of childbearing age, and they were asking them, could you please get pregnant again? And the reason... Any, anyone, honestly, any woman of childbearing or childbearing potential, the reason being that they had read a verse in 1 Timothy 2 verse 15 that says that women will be saved through childbearing if they continue with faith, love and something else. And uh, they had decided that therefore, for the women's salvation, they now needed to have more babies. <laughs> Leaders can, I think, abuse their positions. Here's another one. I heard about one situation on a Sunday, now I wasn't there for this one, but I've had it described to me, but where the church leader slash preacher had set up a throne at the front of the meeting, put a balloon on the throne, and demanded the church file past the throne and touch the balloon, and as they touched the balloon, they were promised they would receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> wasn't a New Frontiers church. Can I just give you a rule of thumb for church life? You ready? Rule of thumb. If something seems a bit wacky or a bit off, it probably is. I mean, you, you, know, you also have the Spirit of God. If you're sitting there going, this is just nuts. Sometimes you need to listen to those things and, uh, and, and withdraw quietly. Here's another one. These are all true. I've got, got three more for you. Um, this one's funny. And, and a church leader I heard about announced to his church that God had told him that from now on, women were not permitted to shave any body hair. <laughs> I don't want to go to that church. <laughs> oh, oh, for so many reasons. So, <laughs> but, I mean, okay, we, we can laugh, but I mean, honestly, these are real stories. Um, I'll tell you a sad story, uh, and again, this is something we had to help somebody with. Um, a girl who was forced to marry a boy by her, her church leaders and by her parents, who would have been uh, working with them, on, because she had gone on a date with a boy once. So she went on one date with the boy, had no clue that this would be the response, but the answer for having gone on one date with the boy was that she must now marry him. And uh, that led to years of abuse and abusive marriage, and we, we picked her up as a divorced lady coming out of a very abusive situation. But of course she was divorced, so there's no place for her in the church anymore. Yeah, yeah and I was talking about to yesterday. Obviously, there was in our church, but you understand what I'm saying for those of you here yesterday. So she's now so abused in so many ways by parents, by church leadership, and by the husband that she was forced under religious pressure to marry and then divorced and kicked out. Take, why do leaders abuse their position? I'll give you one more. Um, a church situation, this, this again I wasn't at but I had it reported in detail to me afterwards by a friend of mine who visited a church where uh, during the worship time the offering was passed around and people gave and he thought well that's kind of normal part of worship and then uh, the offering was sent around a second time as the pastor stood and said the Lord has told me that each one of you who has given 100 pounds must stand and the Lord will bless you. 
And so I'm sending the offering round again. And when you have given at least £100, I expect you, you can stand and you will get the blessing from God. So the offering was passed a second time. I'm starting to think this is abusive. They were a little bit concerned. But then after that was done, the pastor said, thank you so much. That's for our general giving. Now we are having a third offering this morning for our media ministries. And so the offering plate is coming around a third time. Can anyone start to see there may be issues here? <laughs> I wonder if any of you were in church. I'm going to just... Uh, were any of you in church for any of those situations I've described? Okay, that's fine. Get away with it. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, never, you never know because all of those are real and all of those are actually somewhere in the south of England, not a million miles from, uh, from Sussex where I'm based. I can tell you they're all in that kind of area of the country, all real. So... Why is it that leaders sometimes stray into the abuse of those under their authority? Let's start with that. I want to talk about how to lead with grace, but why do leaders abuse their position sometimes? I think there are some root issues. The first root issue is this, insecurity. If you're a leader, can I encourage you in love and grace to deal with your insecurity? Insecurity based on a lack of trust in the grace and the calling of God on your life. A lack of clarity about your new identity in Christ. And so insecurity, leaders who feel insecure can react in ways that cause them to become, I would say, abusive towards those they are leading. I don't mean to, but that's how it starts to, to come about. And of course, insecurity then leads to the desire to control people, which is another root issue. Another reason that leaders become abusive is control, which can be rooted in insecurity. It can also have a demonic root as well. Sometimes leaders are controlling and there's a demonic root that's going on. A third issue, um, and actually before I go, insecurity and control, I think, by the way, those two, it's not just church leaders, I think they particularly apply sometimes to parenting. Can I throw that one in? Uh, and some of you may have been brought up by insecure, controlling parents. Um, uh, some of you may be those, I don't know. God bless you, we, we're happy to pray for people later on, but I think parenting, those two can be a particular issue. Another one that can affect, and I've, I've seen this in church leaders a lot, is pride. Pride can be a real issue, a route for, uh, for, for not leading in grace. A sense of entitlement, a sense that I'm in charge, I worked hard, I've got this position, I deserve to be here, I am God's anointed, and you will do as I say. That, that can be a, a real issue for lack of grace. Another issue is greed, the love of money, by which many, as Paul says, have pierced their conscience and shipwrecked their faith. The love of money can be a real issue. And can I suggest a failure to understand grace and living grace can lead to a heavy rule-bound style of leadership. And we don't want that, do we? We want to be those that lead in love and grace. So good leaders who model themselves on Jesus are a blessing to the church and to the world. Bad leaders are not. So how do we lead with grace? And what impact should grace have on us as leaders, whether that's in the church or the home or the workplace? And so what I want to do is I want to give you 10 hallmarks of grace-filled leadership. I'll go through them quickly. And uh, then we'll consider what the application is for our churches, families, or workplaces. And then we're going to hear a testimony from Chris this morning as well. And then hopefully at the end we'll have a little bit of time for prayer. We'll see where we go. Does that sound okay? That's the, the sort of the, the journey. So 10 hallmarks of grace-filled leadership. Number one, grace-filled leadership treats people with dignity and respect. Treats people with dignity and respect. Jesus told us to love one another. A new commandment I give you, that you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. To love our neighbor as much as ourself. Here's the thing. Being in leadership 
doesn't change that. It's not just that you expect the church members to love one another, but I can treat you how I like. Being in leadership does not change or diminish that command to love one another, even if you are in leadership in business. Now, you might be the manager in a, in a big business context. You might have all sorts of pressures on you to deliver all sorts of results. If you are a Christian, Jesus told you to love your colleagues as much as you love yourself, to love those who are responsible to you as much as you love yourself. They need to be treated with dignity and with respect because they are made in the image of God. Can I hear an amen? amen? Okay. So treating people with respect and dignity, it doesn't mean you can't correct someone. It doesn't mean you can't discipline someone. It doesn't even mean you can't fire somebody. Because sometimes those things have to happen. I get that. But it does set the tone for the way that you do these things, treating people with dignity and with respect. So if you're a Christian, you need to understand that you are Jesus to that person. And we get that. Because I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm Jesus to that person in the workplace. So I need to treat them as Jesus would. But I tell you what's even more frightening is to consider this. They are Jesus to you. Because in as much as you've done it to the least of these... You've done it to me. So how you treat your colleagues, how you treat your insubordinates, how you treat people who are accountable to you, that's Jesus. So I'll give you a question to consider and reflect on um, in this one. How do you treat people who are the least important people in your organization? How are you treating them? Maybe the cleaners. Might be them. I don't know. It depends who, who, who you view them as. How do you treat shop assistants when they're just going that little bit too slowly? Or you get there and it's a moment of change. Of, oh, oh. How about treating people with dignity and grace and respect and love and kindness and remembering that they're Jesus? I just, just throw that. So Christian leadership, grace-filled leadership should treat people with dignity and with respect. 1 Corinthians 13, love always trusts, always hopes, always protects. Love is patient. Love is kind. Okay? So there we go. There's that one there. And I'll tell you what, on this one, I can encourage you to listen for feedback. What, what do I mean by that is this. If sometimes you get feedback that people are saying to you, you were a bit rude to that person, uh, you were a little bit short with that person, hit, ready? Let me tell you this. When you hear those things, you're just hearing the tip of the iceberg. Because for people to get to the point of saying to you, you were a little bit rude or short with that person, they're telling you that much of what everybody else in your organization knows is at least this much. Because it takes a lot. Do you see what I mean? You're just slightly rude or, or so people won't tell you. So if they're telling you, trust me, there's a big issue that needs to be dealt with. Is that okay? Can I, can I say that with love and grace? And it's, it's, it's generic. So if you're getting feedback about being short or rude with people, I think I would just encourage you, even if you're only getting that occasionally, that there might be some real thinking to do about whether you're treating people with love and respect and dignity. So uh, there we go. We get lots of feedback in life. We don't always hear it, but we do get lots from people. We get it all the time from people. we interact. Every interaction, you're getting feedback from how you're doing. Okay. Treat people with dignity and respect. Number two. Grace-filled leadership stays humble. So Jesus calls us to humility. It says in the Bible that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, you might have experienced the sort of situation at work where someone gets promoted. Have you ever had this? And then suddenly, one of your colleagues gets promoted above you, and suddenly they don't want to associate with you anymore. Has anyone had that kind of experience? Now they're kind of looking over your head. They're a little, oh, I've, I've, been, uh, I've been promoted, of course, I've... I've achieved the, the position. Now, that wouldn't happen in church leadership at all, would it? 
And <laughs> actually, I, I, I can think of situations. I would, I, I would end up going to conferences. I mean, early days of my involvement with, uh, with uh, actually with New Frontiers, I, I remember going along to conferences and being genuinely quite shocked. Uh, people that kind of wouldn't talk to you or, or, or look at you. Where, where are you from? Oh, you're leading a church plant. Oh, okay. Literally, you're looking over you to find the next person to speak to. And I've been thinking, this, is, this isn't good. This is not a grace-filled leadership. But I'm afraid even church leaders, we can do this. And I want to encourage you to start to think differently, to start to treat people with dignity and respect. I read recently about a very large church in the United States, very different culture to ours. They did interviews for new senior pastor, and it came down to two candidates. And this is what they did. They included a time when the two candidates were left in a room with a number of parents and their small, noisy children. And it seemed as though they had just been left there waiting for the next bit of the interview and were not told that this was part of the interview. One of the candidates got grumpy and irritated and actually said to the parents, please, can you keep the children quiet? I need, need to concentrate. I'm here for an interview. Having it, please, you know, can you calm them down, please? The other one sat on the floor and interacted with the kids and had some fun. Guess which one got the job? Guess we, and that, that's a true story, absolutely true story. The one who interacted with the kids got the job. Why? As the church board said, because he was the one that was most like Jesus. Uh, I, can, you, can you see what I'm talking about? How are you with, with the humble ones? How are you the church leaders for a moment on a Sunday morning when the kids are making a noise or, or crying or something like that? I mean, we can get so grumpy. But the truth is, that noise of kids on a Sunday morning, that's a blessing. God has given us life. There's life. There's children. Praise God. He's given us life in our midst. Isn't that a good sign? Grace-filled leadership stays humble. The Bible tells us lots of things to do for one another, love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, build one another up, bear one another's burdens. It never tells us to humble one another. We are told to humble ourselves. Humble yourself or God will humble you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Leaders, you need to stay humble. Question, are there people who you are reluctant to associate with because in your eyes they're beneath you or not worth the time? Or another question to consider how you're doing with humility. What are you learning at the moment? Just leave that. What are you learning? Because... Surely if we're humble, we're teachable, right? So what are you learning at the moment? What over the last year, what, what real breakthrough have you made through in terms of who you are and new understanding of Christ? Because if you're not learning anything, it might be that you've become unteachable and, and, and humility is best demonstrated by being teachable, shapeable. Does that make sense? Okay, so questions to consider there. Num number, number three, grace-filled leadership recognizes leadership as a calling to serve. Now, this should be quite obvious, really, but Jesus said, I didn't come to serve. Sorry, start again. I did not come to be served, but to serve. It's that way around. So I've actually written it the wrong way. My note says, I didn't come to serve. I came to be served. I've, I've <laughs> That's literally what I've written in my notes. And uh, <laughs> you proofread them. <laughs> Other way around. Jesus came to be a servant, didn't he? He came to serve people. I tell you what, if that's true of Jesus, how much more true of it is it of us? We're here to serve people, whatever context you're in. We're here to be servants. Leaders are learners, but leaders are also servants. Now, obviously, sometimes we serve best by leading. 
because leading is itself a way of serving people. Sometimes the best way we serve our people is to give them good, clear, visionary leadership. So I'm not saying leaders as servants means you should never be up the front, never set the lead, I'm just here to serve. That, that doesn't help. That's moving, you know, that's not fulfilling your position. But even as you serve, it should be leading. So sometimes people want to be leaders for all sorts of reasons, sometimes to fulfill a vacuum in themselves, sometimes because they want to be honoured and acknowledged and recognised for the wonder that they are, which of course is nothing like Jesus at all, who took on the very nature of a servant and didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing. He served, gave, down, gave up his life. So I want to ask you again a, a question how do, how do I assess this one? Leaders in the room. Leaders, are you willing to do the menial tasks? So I'll, I'll put it in the church context because that, that's where I am. If you are unwilling as a leader to put out the chairs, put out the rubbish, do the washing up or clean the toilets, you are not fit for Christian leadership. That's a strong statement. I want to put it to you again. For Christian leadership, if you are no longer willing, not willing, I'm not prepared to put out the chairs. I've got other people to do. I'm not prepared. That doesn't mean that you don't have teams that do these things, and it doesn't mean that every week you need to clean the toilet. It's about an attitude. If you're sort of, sort of so I wouldn't do that, that's now, I've now got to this position in the organization, and that is beneath me, I would say that renders you unfit for Christian leadership. And I'd say you need to get before God and repent. Can I be as blunt as that? Number four. Gracefield leadership is more about creating guiding principles than laying down the rules. Now, there's a real difference between principles and rules. Okay, rules can actually tell people how to behave in certain specific situations, but principles can create guidelines that are applicable in many, many situations. Rules are externally imposed. Principles are internally understood and owned. Rules can modify someone's behavior for a season. Principles can change their heart motivation for the long term. So we need as leaders full of grace to be working to lay down principles, guiding principles, not laying down rules. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And actually, winning people's hearts to godly principles will take you so much further than setting out some rules. But the problem is it also takes so much longer. But it's worth it in the long run. We need to be winning people's hearts. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are some situations where we need to be clear because actually there are laws that apply. You know, we need legal laws need to be applied. We can't just ignore the law. We can't just ignore issues of health and safety and legality. So people do need to know that. I'm not neglecting that. But what I'm, what I'm talking about is the general way of conducting ourselves, perhaps in a church or a work context, principles will win over rules every time. So sometimes we've got to be clear, but if that's the mode of our leadership model, we've got a problem. So leaders, okay, in your organization, the leaders are not the people who you trust to know and follow the rules. They're the people who you trust to know when it's okay to break the rules. Do you get the difference? So you're not good leaders. It's not, they're not the ones I trust to follow the rules and apply them. They're the ones I trust to know when it's okay to break them, that this situation would be one of those. I mean, or to put it differently, it's, it's what Paul says in, in Corinthians. He says that the law kills, but the spirit gives life, or the letter kills. We are ministers of a new covenant, not of law, but of the spirit. And so I just think we need to be those in all that we do. We need to be leaders of the spirit, catching what the spirit's saying. Question for application. Are you, as a leader, 
looking for outward conformity to an external set of behaviours that you can monitor? Or are you looking for a genuine transformation and commitment at a heart level? Can I suggest in business, that's a tough one, but if, you wanted, if you're in business, you need to be developing leaders. Do you get that? Okay. Are you, repeat it, okay, that's fine. Are you looking for outward conformity to an external set of behaviours, the audit tick list? Or are you looking for a genuine transformation and commitment at a heart level? Does that make sense? And I tell you, I don't get with church or business, if you're not developing leaders, you've got no future. You understand? We need to be developing leaders. Teaching people to comply with the audit tick list does not develop any leaders for your organization. You might get some good managers, but you won't get leaders. Leaders know when to break the rules. Number five. Gracefield leadership wants to see others succeed. Now, Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. That means we're called to multiply ourselves. And one of the most crucial jobs of any true leaders is to develop and release other leaders. That's right, we've already started on that one. There is no success without a successor. So Gracefield leadership wants to see others succeed and surpass them. Come here, Chris. We want to see people succeed at every level of our organization. In a little bit, Chris is going to share some testimony. But let me say this. I met this guy when he was a student. We began Grace Church. He phoned me up and said, can I come to your church? And we, we were on our second week of meeting. And I said, yeah, all right. <laughs> and I'm like, please come. I was, yeah, all right. Don't want to seem too keen. And... Uh, <laughs> He said, can I bring my friend? I was like, yes, yes, you can bring your friend. She's now his wife. And, uh, oh, Catherine. And then, <laughs> and then he said, can I have a lift? And uh, <laughs> we said, yeah. But listen, I, I'm just picking Chris because he's here and he's, he's going to speak in a bit. I want to tell you something, and, and as, I'm not lying, and God is my witness. My hope and prayer for this man is that he will go further in leadership. He's an elder now. I pray that he will go further in leadership than I've ever seen. That he'll, he'll lead more, deliver more, achieve more than I ever do. And I want to deliver and achieve a lot. All right? And my honest heart prayer is that what he does will put me in the shade. Does that make sense? I want, and I feel that for all the leaders in our organisation, all of them. I want them to succeed. Grab your seat. That's... And it, it, there is, I look at Paul and Timothy. He, I'll receive him as my son, said Paul, and he sent him into churches. He can go. He'd multiplied himself. Paul could not go, but Timothy could, so he sent him. Look at John the Baptist. I must decrease, he must increase. That needs to be our attitude. And leaders become so afraid of being put out of a job. But the truth is, the more you replace yourself, the more God releases you into the next thing. I've been able to be released from Grace Church, and I know I'm leaving behind a really good leadership team, and they're going to do fine. I haven't worried about them once. I handed over on the 30th of April. I have never at any point worried about the future of that church. You guys are going to do fine. I am not worried. I'm not worried. Why am I not worried? Because Chris is there. Because you know Joe Leach is there. Because David Thompson is now actually the lead elder and leading it. And he's going to do brilliantly. Because people have come through. Because Simpson's now in eldership down there. Because there are other guys. That God has blessed the church. Thomas, who's one of the elders there. We have been so blessed with the development of leaders. And honestly, in my last sort of few months there, I got to the point where really, I could kind of... Do I need... I'm optional. 
because they are, they've come through and they're doing it and they're carrying weight and they're leading things and it's not coming to me and I don't even know what's going on half the time anymore and it's brilliant and then God says, time to move. And I praise God for that and that needs to be our model. No success without a successor. Grace-filled leadership multiplies. And sometimes they get church leaders going, oh, I feel it's time for me to move on from my church. Who will commission, provide to lead my church for me? And the answer I want to give is, which of the five, six, seven leaders you've spent the whole of your time at that church training is now ready to lead? You haven't trained any, well, you're not ready to move then because you haven't done your job. Now, that doesn't mean that the answer is always one of them because I'm going into the coin and I wasn't trained there. There are moments where someone from outside comes in, but that doesn't mean the coin hasn't produced leaders. Nick Sharp, Phil Moore, you know, Graham over in America. I mean, do, do you know what I mean? It's not that leaders haven't been produced. We need to be training our own, releasing our own. You want God to bless your church with good leaders, start training the people that God has given you. Start in grace, releasing them. Oh, I haven't got any leaders. You've got potential leaders. Sometimes people are, oh, I need, I need a leader, I need to train someone. What they're wanting is someone that's almost there that they can tweak. Maybe you've got to start with the, you know, with the raw clay and begin to shape it and be asking God, what can you see in this person? What could you do with this person? And I found if you're faithful with little, God will give you much. One more thing on this. Sometimes I've seen a very sad thing in church leadership. When a leader passes on the baton of leadership in their church to someone else, and they want them to succeed, but actually, deep down, what they really want is for them to be okay, but not to do quite as well as they did themselves. I don't want it to collapse, but I would like people in the future to look back and think, oh, but the good old days. But we're okay. It's okay. No, no, no. Get rid of any of that attitude. Get rid of any of that. Surely we want the next generation to so far surpass us that we get forgotten. Because we're not forgotten in God's kingdom. I, you know, I, I praise God for what he's doing. I'm so proud of Billingshurst Family Church. Anybody here from Billingshurst Family Church? I'll tell you why I'm proud. I have to watch my pride. I had the joy of planting that church. I was only there for four years, right? Four years. We put in a seed. Ben Martin comes in. He's been there for 11 years. And that church has just prospered. It has gone places I know I could never take it. But whenever I hear stuff and I meet people, it's like, oh, I don't know you. That's brilliant. I don't, God, God has saved people. He's been baptized. A seed was planted. We achieved a little bit. God brings in Ben. Church has done so much. That's good news. I am so thrilled. I, I, I delight and rejoice before God over that church. And suddenly, you know, and it's funny, having planted and moved on and now planted and moved on, those bits at the beginning of Paul's letters make more sense to me now than they ever did. I can't thank God for all of you. You know, I hear the good news is ringing out for you. I say, yes, praise God. The church has not just survived, it's thrived. And I thank God that someone like Ben came in who took the church places that I would not have been able to take it. And now Ben's moving on. I won't say where, and the church know he's moving on. It wouldn't be right in this context to say where, because not everybody knows. But I've no doubt that he will do brilliantly, but I also have no doubt that the guy coming in behind him, Craig, is going to be absolutely fantastic. I haven't broken any secrets, have I? No, good. Phew. I mean, <laughs> but it's going on to a third, gen third, kind of a third leader, a third generation of leader. Isn't that good? No success without a successor. And Grandad Neil here has been holding the fort the whole time. He's not great. You're not Grandad yet, are you? Oh, I'm the Grand. Oh, I'm Grandad. I thought you might be Grandad. Neil's been there all the time. Right. I'm taking too long. I'm gonna, I will go fast. Grace-filled leadership focuses, number six, more on someone's direction of travel than on their current level of achievement. Listen, true story. I sat in a leadership meeting one time when potential future leaders were being discussed. 
And with every name that was mentioned, we came up immediately with a list of problems, negatives, and reasons why they weren't ready yet. So you, the name would come up, you know, let's talk about Fred. There's no Fred, I'm making him up. You know, talk about Fred, oh yeah, but oh, he's a bit sharp sometimes and oh, he's always late and I don't see him really committed and he used to run a life group and then he quit running it and I don't know, maybe we won't do anything with Fred. And, and then George would come up, what about George? Oh yeah, he's, he's a bit scruffy. I'm not sure his marriage is 100% perfect. His kids sometimes misbehave. I sat there and I suddenly had an epiphany. I had a moment where I could see almost from outside what we were doing and I think God gave me a nudge. And I said this, I said, for the next half hour, I want us only to list the positive things about people. What is good about these people we're discussing? I don't want to hear one negative or one concern. All we're going to talk about is the good stuff that we've seen them do over the time they've been with us. Transformed the conversation. Utterly transformed the conversation. Suddenly... We could see the direction of travel that people were on. We could see the good things they'd done. We found ourselves getting excited about what they could become. As a result of that, new leaders were identified, raised up. And we've got two new elders in Grace Church that I believe came out of that conversation. Because we could suddenly see, yeah, they're not the full article yet, but it does look at what God has done. And that suddenly gives us faith to go the rest of the way. Starting to speak positively, the direction of travel. Question, question. Are you willing to help develop people who have a lot to learn but are traveling in the right direction? Or are you waiting for somehow perfection to happen by accident first? I forgot to ask you the question on the last one about others succeeding you, or wanting to see others succeed, which is just this. How much are you releasing others to be what they should be? And how focused are you on working to replace yourself? Are you working hard to replace yourself? You should be. Number seven, Gracefield leadership allows room for failure in order to achieve long-term success. So if we're not making mistakes, we're probably not doing enough. And say that again, if we're not making some mistakes, we're probably not doing enough. Obviously, if we're making mistakes all the time, we might need some help. But if we're not making some mistakes, we're not doing enough. Some of the way we learn things is by trying new things. And we will make trial and error. Do you know, when we started our first multi-site, we made a few mistakes. And then when we started our second multi-site, we didn't make those mistakes. We made different ones, but we didn't make those ones. The same when I planted a church. First church I planted, I did all sorts of things wrong. Second church I planted, I did a whole set of different things wrong, but I didn't learn the first, didn't redo the first mistakes. You learn things, you learn things. And think about it biblically. Look at Jesus and Peter. I mean, if anyone was a short-term failure and a long-term success, look at him. Look at Peter rebuking Jesus when he declares he's the Messiah and, he, and he's going to go to the cross. Peter denying Jesus completely, three times denied him, and yet Jesus comes in and redeems him, and success happens. Is something going on? Good, good. Only a fly up there, that's fine. Don't worry about the fly. We'll treat it with grace. If, if people in your church, here's the question, if people in your church or organization are shut down for making errors or rebuked in sort of public inappropriate ways, you won't get the best out of them? It's just the opposite of grace. Grace-filled leadership accepts that there will be mistakes and that people will learn from them. And if I don't allow that into our culture, we will limit our future. We'll shut down our future. Apparently, when Thomas Edison was working on his first light bulbs, it would take 24 hours to put one together. Anyone know this story? And I, I believe it is. It's apparently, it's a true story that when he'd finished one of his light bulbs, he gave it to a young boy who nervously carried it up the stairs and guess what? Tripped, dropped it, broke it. Took the team 24 hours more to make the next one. And when he had finished it, what did he do? He gave it to the same boy to carry it up the stairs. Now, that is grace. 
as giving people room to learn. But I'll tell you this, whilst we may be able to do some measure of predicting future performance by past performance, I do think that's true. It is also true to say that sometimes the person who's made a mistake is the one least likely to ever do that again. So, number eight. Number eight. Gracefield leadership. Oh, hold on, I didn't ask a question. I do want to ask the question because I have got a question on each of these for, for application, if I can find it in my notes. Question, okay, on this one. Gracefield leadership allows people to make mistakes. How do you believe that someone who is responsible to you for their job, or, or should I say for whom you are responsible, which is probably a better way of thinking about it, how do you believe they feel when they have made an error or mistake and know that they're going to have to come to you to talk about it and confess it? Or maybe they know you know and they know you're going to be talking to them about it. How do you believe they feel in the moment before that conversation? How do you feel in that moment before that conversation with the person to whom you're responsible? Because that will tell you a lot about the culture that is being set. Gracefield leadership, number eight. Gracefield leadership confronts, confronts issues personally. So the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. Refusing to confront issues in people's lives is not grace. Do you know, sometimes like, oh, we, we don't deal with that because we're kind. No, that's not kindness. Grace confronts things. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, but it does it in a loving way. Grace does not sweep things under the carpet, but cares enough to help people become what they can be. So confronting issues is absolutely crucial to Gracefield leadership, but it needs to be done in a way that is personal, loving, and relational. So personal means it's specific to the individual. You're, before you chat, you're thinking about their history. You're thinking about their background, their situation, what else they might be dealing with at this time. Personal means it's not public. It's not the public dressing down in front of everybody else because you got that wrong. That's not acceptable. Don't do it again. Um, that, that's not Gracefield leadership. That's bullying. It's not Gracefield leadership. Bullying. Bullying. We don't do that. We need to treat people with love and with dignity. Come back to point one. Personal means there is relationship come, coming from commitment and we're looking to preserve relationship. So if we're going to lead people and develop leaders, we will need to confront issues of sin and issues of poor performance and we need to do it with grace and kindness. Now, I haven't got time today to go into tools and techniques for doing that. There are some. Come on Foundations Leadership Training and I'll tell you. Okay. Question, when did you last confront an issue with someone and how did you do it? To reflect on that. And perhaps the second question, is there something that you need to lovingly confront? I'll put it like this. Sometimes in church life, I have found that we can get into situations where everybody in the church knows the score except for the person concerned. Everybody else knows there's a problem, but no one is telling them. No one is speaking to them about it. I would suggest to you that that is unrighteous. I'll leave that thought there. Number nine, Gracefield leadership always believes the best. So in leadership, we're going to always be hearing stories about people and what they've done or might not have done. It's easy to jump to conclusions. Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right till the other one comes and cross-examines him. And I just want to encourage you in grace as a leader to be careful not to jump to judgment based on gossip or opinion. I mean, I'm coming into a new church. I'm going to tell you, I've heard all sorts of things now about all sorts of people. I have. That's true. Not in a gossipy way but I genuinely have, as I've got to know people. I have to be careful, don't I? That I don't rush to judgment before I even know people. 
before I've even got to know them. Whether that is judgment about how brilliant somebody is or what the challenges are in their life. Does that make sense? It could be judgment both ways. Actually, leaders, graceful leadership, we need to believe the best and take the time and get to know people and see what God is doing. So I suppose the question I would want to ask is this, are you quick to rush to judgment? And Jesus said, in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we have to be so careful when we hear things. If when we, you know, when we're careful, love always trusts, always believes the best. We've got to trust people. And we must do away with a critical spirit and a suspicious attitude. That actually allows us to release people to do their role without micromanaging them all the time. Last one, number 10, grace-filled leadership, ready for this one, can be abused. Just want to throw that out there. Sometimes people are fearful to lead with too much grace because they can be abused. Well, look at Jesus. Jesus knew what Judas was like. He betrayed Jesus. Jesus knew what Peter was like. He denied Jesus. Jesus knew what Thomas was like. He doubted Jesus. Jesus knows what you're like. You fill in the blank for yourself. And Jesus didn't give up on them and he won't give up on you. Praise God. So grace-filled leadership can be abused. It can be taken advantage of. But you know what? I'd rather be taken advantage of than stray into becoming an abusive leader, a bullying leader, or a controlling leader, like the examples I started with. And if our grace-filled leadership's abused, well, praise God, we're being treated like Jesus was treated. And isn't that what we're called to? So there's lots we can do to consider the implications of grace-filled leadership for our lives. Um, I just think the best thing probably is to get Chris to come and talk about leadership development as in a, in a context. Because developing other leaders is key, and I thought his testimony would be good. So I've asked him to come and speak for a bit, and uh, let's, let's welcome Chris. Thanks. So, um, yeah, as Steve says, my name's Chris and uh, Kimbangi. I'm kind of like... I'm the raw clay, I guess. I feel like, you know, as Steve's been talking, and I'm married to Catherine, who, uh, as he's mentioned, that I, I met, I, it was, I actually met her on the first day of uni, and uh, we, we went along to church, and I'd become a Christian about a year before I went to uni, and uh, so as I turned up, I was quite a new Christian, and, you know, Steve sort of remembers that lovely story of, of me ringing him up and, and asking him uh, about, you know, can I come along to church? The reality was, actually, I'd been at uni for about a term, and I didn't even bother trying to look for a church. I hadn't, uh, you know, I was, I was a Christian and yet I hadn't actually tried. That's, that was who I, who I was. And it was my friends back home badgering me saying, have you found a church yet? Have you found a church yet? And I thought, oh, no, no. And, and then they heard through the New Frontiers grapevine that this guy Steve was planting a church. And I was like, all right, I'll give him a call. And, uh, and then it's kind of all gone from there. And over these last 12 years or so, um, yeah, I think I've experienced grace-filled leadership in, in a big way. And uh, so you can kind of tell what type of person I was. And I kind of want to summarize or l talk a little bit about my journey over these last 12 years and how I've experienced grace-filled leadership and, then, and also my response to it and, and how that's perhaps shaped me. So um, there have been many areas. Here's a few. One of the things that Steve mentioned was about how it's really easy to find reasons to say no to people. And I guess when it came to me, there was many reasons probably to, to say no. Many reasons why I wouldn't, it wouldn't be good to have me maybe serving on youth team or serving in the worship team or preaching or doing lots of things. And yet, um, there's always been a gracious yes and a shaped yes. And uh, I remember in my first year, really, in the church, um, it got to the summer holidays and I thought, oh, it might be a good idea if I gathered another six teenagers with me and we all went on a mission trip together and uh, I went to sort of share this with Steve and I can imagine him thinking, oh my word, 
what is going to happen to these people? We were looking at going to Turkey and uh, instead of sort of just shutting it down, I actually said, okay, let's, let's see how we can make this work. And uh, he helped us to put on fundraising events. There was one evening which we, we put on and I remember him thinking that we were only, oh yeah, it'll be good. You'll only raise 500 pounds. Wow, two and a half grand we raised that evening. And uh, I think one thing about Gracefield Leadership is, is in helping to enhance enthusiasm, to shape it and to make it work well. And two, of the two things that I learned, one was that communication is vital. Because I completely messed up actually. The event went well and we raised money but I was unorganized. And uh, I remember three days before the event, I got in touch with all the life group leaders and said, oh, by the way, um, you know, you must be on board with this because it's amazing. Um, could you provide all the food for the evening? And uh, that, that didn't go down well, but I learned something from it. <laughs> and uh, that is that you've got, you've got to communicate. You've got to get in touch with people. You've got to plan well. And uh, that, was, that was a key thing that I've kind of taken through. And then another thing was that, it's important to submit your plans to your elders. And what you feel like might be a really good idea, what God has given you, well, if, if you haven't talked to your elders about it, the people that are, you know, are, have authority over you, then it's not going to go anywhere. And uh, if you're going to be a leader, then you've got to be someone who's able to be led well. You've got you to be able to be underneath someone else's leader to leadership, to, to take authority. Uh, another area that is, uh, was, was how... Steve and some of the other elders in the church helped me to understand my own calling in life, God's calling on, my, on myself. And so I remember I used to, at the beginning of the church, we kind of served in lots of different areas in church life. And so I served in setup, in chair ministry, in uh, worship team and in the youth team. And uh, I remember thinking that, well, you know, the youth team, that's kind of in the background. The worship team's up front. And so I, you know, I prayed hard to God and I felt God saying, I should be in the worship team up the front, you know. And uh, so I went to speak to Steve about it. And I remember speaking to him. And he could have said, well, you're mad. No, I think you should be doing this. This is where we, we need you in the youth team, so don't do that. Instead, he asked me some simple questions like, where do you see your future? What, what do you think your giftings are that God has given you? Um, and uh, what area might help you develop the most in that gifting? And by the end of the conversation, I'd quit the worship team. I'd stuck with the youth. And uh, Gracefield Leadership is honest and it encourages self-evaluation. He could have made me do something and that, would have, that wouldn't have lasted long. Instead, he helped me to see God's call on my life. And it, he drew me into understanding what, where God would place me, which would be best for me to, be, to, to serve and to grow and develop. Um, and another area is taking responsibility. Uh, Catherine and I, whilst we were married, we were both doing our PGCEs and uh, it, was a it was a really difficult time, you know, PGCE is a teacher training year, it's really tough and mental and during that time, the people that were leading the youth team, they left unexpectedly and it was quite a difficult situation and it could have been really easy for Steve and the other elders to say, oh, I don't think Chris and Catherine are right to take it on. They're, really, they're too young. They're really busy. And they could have found loads of reasons to say no. Instead, they shaped a yes. And uh, Steve placed us in leadership of the youth. And he didn't just stand back, but he met with us. He helped us to form team. He, he trained us. He helped us to, to know how to deal with, with people and personalities and to put plans in place. 
and uh, it must have taken loads of time and effort. It would have been much easier to just bring in you know, maybe an older couple to come and do it. Instead, he helped us to develop. And uh, he didn't also look at our busy situation and say no for us. He presented the opportunity and, and let God see what would happen. And we grasped it with both hands. I wonder, have you been considering someone but written them off? Have you said no for them? It's really easy to do that. Even a few weeks ago, I, I thought, you know, I, was, I thought about someone that we could raise into our site team, and I almost said no instead uh, for them. But instead, I went and talked to him about it. I said, look, this is what I see God's calling in your life. And he's come back and said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. And you can really see God working in his life. But what about when I failed? What about when I messed up? I've always found that graceful leadership gives you permission to fail and then go again and again without holding it against you. I remember when I first thought I had a bit of a preaching gift, Steve invited myself and a few guys to his house. And so I was there. There was about six people in the room. Joe was there as well, his wife. And uh, I remember do, doing my, my preach. It was about 10, 15 minutes or so. And uh, he must have given me good feedback, but I didn't hear that. All I heard was, yeah, just let you know, I tallied every time you said um, and you got to 200 when I decided to stop tallying it. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of all I remembered. But after that, you know, it might have been a year later or so, there was another opportunity. And, and he never brought, well, he did bring it up again, because <laughs> I say I'm a girl. But he gave me a go again. I had another go and then another go. And, and now I get to preach regularly in my church. And I still say um. <laughs> I know. A lot less than I did. The last area was in discipleship. And uh, that, that was the whole seminar yesterday. And so I'm not going to say too much about that now. Other than Gracefield Leadership points people to follow Jesus and not the rules. And, um, you know, I never went into Steve's office with him or meeting up with him, with him reading through a list of questions, asking about all the different sins that I might have committed that week. Instead, we talked. We built a relationship. And I could bring, look, Steve, I'm struggling with this. And I could go at my own pace and reveal more and more to him. And he helped me to then grow in those areas and, and would also bring challenge and correction where it was needed. And so just to finish up, my response to Gracefield Leadership has been this, that I've been willing to be shaped, and I wonder, are you? Are you willing to be shaped by the people above you, the people above you, you know, your elders who serve you? Do you trust them? Learn to. Learn to trust them. They want the best for you. Another error has been character, and in 1 Timothy 4.14, it talks about, um, you know, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. But then goes on to say, do not, neglect the, do, not, do not neglect the gift that I've given you. And uh, for me, I know that leadership has been a gift within my life, and it would be really easy for me to neglect that gift and to say no and to shy away. And, and yet, I've, my response to the leadership that's been above me, or over me, uh, how Steve has served me, has actually been to, to, okay, maybe I can say yes to this. May, well, maybe I could do this. And, and to step forward and, and to look for reasons to say yes. And then the last thing I would mention is that it's, don't take yourself too seriously. So easy to do that, to take yourself too seriously. I could have come away from that time when I was preaching with, and heard about all those ums and, oh, well, I'm not doing that again, you know, and get all on my high horse. Instead, I know, I need to humble myself. Okay, let's go again. Let's try again. And, um, you know, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. There's, uh, even this morning, I, I need to go and apologize to my wife for something that I've done wrong. And that's okay because 
we all, we're not none of us perfect and we can we can move forward and we can humble ourselves and we can go again and knowing that God has grace for us our families have grace for us our church has grace for us thank you Chris um, Chris is uh, yeah it, it, it was a pretty high um count he's actually a good preacher I remember the triple ums so we go I'll be speaking it'd be um 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 like that. that would be the triple um uh, so master of the triple um as well so but but cured of it now I'm pleased to say um uh, um so <laughs> We need, we need to land this, and I want to pray in a moment. But as I do, I wanna, uh, first of all, I want to leave you with something that if you don't remember anything else, remember this, okay? And uh, this isn't my original. This comes from uh, Nicky Gumbel. And I think this, is, this little thing, to me, is grace-filled leadership in an absolute nutshell. It sums it up. It's both grace and leadership. And he said this. He said that... As leaders, there are two questions that we must always ask. The two questions are, what is the right thing to do? And how do we do it in a loving and pastoral way? And he said this, if we fail to ask both questions, we will have a problem. So if all we ask is, what must I do? And we don't think about how, we won't lead with grace. If we, all we ask is about how do we do things pastorally and don't ask what the right thing to do is, we won't actually lead. So we must have both questions. And we must also ask them both in the right order. That what the right thing to do is must come first and then the application, how do we do it well. So I'll give you those questions again. Number one, what is the right thing to do? Number two, how do we do this in a way that is pastoral and loving? And both questions need to be asked. And to me, that is grace-filled leadership in a nutshell. I could have just said that and dismissed you at 11.02, but I thought we would do a little more than that. I'd like us to bring some prayer application to this. So why don't we, where we are, I, I, in a moment I'll get you to stand and I want to just pray for you. But why don't you, where you are, just to, you know, put your notes down. If you're able to, just close your eyes for a moment and let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak. So Spirit of God, I pray right now that you would be upon people and begin to speak to them. I just say, if you do need to go, God bless you, that is okay. I won't take long. I, I do want to release you if you need to go. But let's just take a moment, if you've got it, we won't be long. Father, I pray now that you would come and touch hearts. Lord, first of all, I pray for us. In fact, you know what, I want to ask questions. Just wait on the Lord for a moment. Let me just ask some questions and see if, what God says to you about these, okay? First of all, a church issue, building church in a messy culture. We touched on this yesterday. Grace-filled leadership in church culture. How are you doing handling people coming in from the messy culture? People whose lives and families are not built on Christian values. Just ask God to speak to you. How are you doing with those messy people that he'll bring to you? How are you handling people whose lifestyle is not a traditional lifestyle? People who come from all sorts of different backgrounds. Are you treating them with grace? Are you allowing them to belong before they believe and start to live like a Christian. For those of you in the workplace, what would a grace-filled leadership culture look like in your job? Just think about that for a moment. How could you create a culture in the workplace for everything you're responsible for where people love coming in every day because you treat them with so much love and grace where Monday morning is just as much a joy for them as Saturday morning? 
because you are creating an environment of grace where they love to come. What could you do to move closer towards that? Is there room for failure? Are you believing the best of people? Are you looking to help others in your workplace succeed? And when you confront, is it in a loving and relational way? Parents, just think about this. How could this affect the way you parent your children? How could this affect your plans and expectations for them? How could it affect the way you discipline and correct them? And, and ask again, are you staying humble, parents, and recognizing that you're still learning too? Those moments when your teenagers argue with you and they look you in the face and give you a response and you know, darn it, they're right. <laughs> I'm wrong and they're right. Are you humble enough to, to own it? Are you treating them with love and with dignity and with respect? Let's stand together. I just want to pray for you. And here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the impartation of grace-filled leadership to us in whatever walk of life we're in. Heaven, let's just reach out your hands to the Lord. I believe that the Bible says that leadership is a spiritual gift. And therefore, I believe we can pray for the impartation of the spiritual gift of leadership. Okay, so it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. If this gift is leadership, do it with zeal. So I believe leadership is a gift. So we want to pray for that. But I want to pray for the impartation of leadership gift and for the grace to handle it. So Heavenly Father, I pray right now all across this room that you would impart leadership gifting to people right now for all the different contexts that they are in. Father, I pray for those in a church context first. Would leadership gifting be imparted to them? Holy Spirit, would you just release in increasing measure the gift of leadership? Father, I lay hands on this one, Lord, as symbolic for the rest. But Spirit of God, come. I pray, Holy Spirit, impart leadership gifting right across this room to men and to women in leadership across our churches. Father, I pray for that. I pray, Lord God, for those in the workplace as well. Father, I pray for leadership gifting in the workplace that can take responsibility and love people well. I believe the Spirit's moving on some of you right now. Holy Spirit, I pray for that leadership impartation. Lord, I pray for people who would be able to graciously lead those accountable to them. Graciously lead upwards as well, those who are over them, and graciously lead their peers. I pray for that, the Christians who would lead with grace in the workplace. Let leadership gifting for workplaces be imparted now this morning. For teachers in the classroom, let leadership gifting be imparted, Lord God. Pray for that, Lord. For those working in, in business and finance, let leadership gifting, Christian leadership gifting be imparted. Those running their own businesses as well, Lord. Thank you. Father, for everyone, whatever walk of life they're in, impart it this morning. Father, I pray for parents and grandparents. Lord God, they're leaders too. Father, I pray that they would be godly leaders to their children and grandchildren. Holy Spirit, would you come and impart a leadership gifting for the home? Lord Jesus, for parents, a leadership gifting for the home, that they would be grace-filled leaders, that their children would grow up not with abusive or controlling parenting, Lord Jesus, but with loving, caring, kind parents who lead them with grace. I pray for many, many children, Lord, to go on in God and go further than us. And Lord, I pray for every situation across the room, everyone responsible, Lord God, for anything, particularly those coming near a transition, Lord, I pray that we would have the success of successors. Would you raise up successors? Why don't you just, we're nearly done, but why don't you, if you're looking for someone to start to disciple train, just ask God, God, give me that successor. Just start to pray and speak to him. Lord, who do you want me discipling? Who do you want me bringing through? 
You might only be sort of 25 and just starting out in leadership. Who's God giving you to bring through? Who are you going to start to multiply yourself into? Spirit of God, I pray for that. You put names right now. Put names in people's minds now this morning who you are laying on their heart. That might be the most unlikely person. Put names on their minds right now this morning. Lord God, even as, as it says in the Bible, older women discipling younger women. Lord God, we see that in Scripture. I pray for that now, Lord. I pray for, well, for older women, by which I mean anyone who's kind of 21 and upwards, because I'll just class you as, as older, all right? That you, you're 21 and upwards. I pray, Lord, that you would be able, Father, would they be able to disciple those who are younger and bring them through into the things of God? I pray for godly mentoring, godly discipleship, grace-filled discipleship, right across families, churches, workplaces, in Jesus' name. Amen.